Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a story that came out a few years ago, a book. It was a parable of sorts. One of these business parables, leadership book. Maybe some of you have read these books before. But it told the story of a, a man named Alex. And Alex was tasked with turning around this company that had been failing and faltering. And, and they came in. They said, Alex, you're the man for the job. We need you to turn this place around in three months' time. That was his, that was his task, to try and turn around this failing company in three months. He thought, how in the world am I going to do that? What is it going to take for me to turn this company around and make it successful and thriving and strong? Well, at that time, one of his mentors came alongside him and said, Alex, you know what you need to do? See, you can improve everything about the company, but if you don't identify the constraints, the weakest links, and get rid of those, you're never going to improve. You'll never turn around this company. You need to find those constraints. So Alex was keeping that in mind when uh, on the weekend he had a hike with his son and with their Boy Scout troop. And they go on the, on the hike, uh, on the, the scout troop, and while they're going along, most of the kids are, are cruising right along. They're going at a really good clip. They're going along on the hike, and the, and the kids are thriving. They're doing well. But there's one kid, Herbie, who's at the back of the, the group, and he's holding everybody else back. And all the other kids are moving up, they're moving up, they're moving up, and the scout leader's getting frustrated, parents are getting frustrated, kids are getting frustrated. Herbie, come on already! All the rest of us are moving. You're the weakest link. And all of a sudden, Alex realizes what he needs to do. He's got to get rid of Herbie. <laughs> Not literally in that moment. He wasn't allowed to get rid of, you know, toss the kid off the cliff or something like that. But what he could do as the boss is he could fire people. He could find the weakest link and get rid of him. He found Herbie afterwards and said, thank you, Herbie. And Herbie said, for what? He said, for being the weakest link. Herbie wasn't expecting that, but there it is. Now, I tell you this, not because I think that this is something that you ought to emulate in your life, but because of the way that I think it is indicative of how our society tends to view people. We look at people in terms of who's the strongest, who's the weakest, who can we do without? I mean, in a sense, there's something natural about that. In a business, I mean, truly, if there is somebody who's just pulling the rest of the business down, it makes sense that at some point you're going to have to say, sorry, maybe this isn't for you. I get that. And certainly, you know, in sports teams, sports teams aren't going to keep the guy who hits 250 around forever. At some point, you have to say, maybe you need to pick a different vocation, right? And even in churches sometimes, you see this even in churches sometimes, where there's folks who will feel like they're just left behind because maybe they're not able to contribute the way that they want to or the way that they once did. And there can be almost this sense like, well, you're the, you're the weakest link. This is an attitude that pervades our culture. It's conveyed implicitly, if not explicitly. And really, in a sense, it's a, the old story of survival of the fittest, is it not? But here's the question. What if you're the weakest link? Or what if I am? It's all well and good when we can always look at some other Herbie and say, well, he's going to go. But what if it's you and me are the ones who are dragging it all down? And more to the point, 
when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the, the church and the work of our Lord, what does he say to the weakest links? We get his answer in today's gospel. Where Jesus sees coming to him, all of the, the crowds of people are coming out to him. And as they are coming out, he can see it in their eyes. They are weary and they are heavy laden. They are like, well, a, a few weeks ago, I found myself with our, my family and four kids traveling in the airport. And honestly, I think there's a special circle of hell reserved, you know, where you get to travel with young children in the airplanes, okay? Um, not my favorite thing to do in the world. And after a while, you get there with the kids, not to mention the parents, and everybody's carrying their baggage along, and you can see it on their faces, if not hear it in their voices, we've had enough. We are, we, we are all Herbie in that moment, right? I imagine Jesus seeing the crowds coming to him, and they are weary and they are heavy laden, like some world-weary travelers, carrying all of their baggage alongside. They don't even have those fancy bags with the wheels on them that you can just wheel along. They've got the old-fashioned ones that you still got to carry. He can see them carrying it. What is the baggage that they're carrying? I think some of them are, are coming, carrying that baggage of unmet expectations, of failed hopes. You know, in the same chapter in Matthew's Gospel, right before this, the context for this conversation that they're having right there is that some uh, of John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus. They're wanting to know, are you the one who was to come? And why was that? Where was John at the time? Anybody recall? In prison. John's behind bars. So wait a second. John looked like this promising figure. But again and again and again, the hopes of God's people had been dashed. They're carrying along this baggage of failed expectations, of hopes that did not come to pass. Maybe others of them are carrying the baggage, the, uh, trying to, to shoulder that load that the religious leaders and the elites were putting on their shoulders at that time. All of the extra regulations and restrictions that they were saying, this is what you need to do. I'm not even talking about the law of God or the Ten Commandments, but it's all those other laws that men added on to God's law and said, no, nah, you can't do that, or you have to do that just so. I mean, the most famously we know about it with the Sabbath restrictions, right? But over and over and over again, the religious leaders at that time, Jesus says, you're tying up burdens on the people too heavy to bear. And then Jesus really gives the kicker. And you yourself won't lift a finger to help with it. So Jesus sees those crowds and they're carrying that baggage too. And most of all, what every single one of them is weighed down, carrying as they come up to him, is the guilt of their sin. Psalm 38 says, My sin, the burden of my sin, is too heavy for me. It is too much for me to bear. There they are, all weary and heavy laden, bearing all this baggage before Jesus. Every last one of them, Herbie's. Every last one of them, weakest links. And so Jesus then says, I don't need you guys. I need the best and brightest. I don't have time for people who are weary and heavy laden. Get out of here. I have to free myself from such constraints. If this kingdom is really going to thrive and succeed and flourish, that's what Jesus says. No, of course not. Instead, we hear the sweet gospel of our Savior. 
for people who are weary and heavy laden, folks who can't quite keep their cheese on the cracker, and those who are bearing that baggage and feeling like they are broken down and beaten. To them, to you, he says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I think Jesus is calling to mind a certain kind of, of picture in our mind as he uses that imagery. It's like Jesus is our pack mule. He is our beast of burden. And he says, you come with those burdens? You come here tonight carrying that load? Let me take that from you. This is why he came, in order to take those loads off of your shoulders and to put them on his own back. Don't worry about it. Don't fear for it. Don't say, oh, poor Jesus, how are you going to be able to handle it? To him, it is nothing. His burden is light. He delights in it, friends. This is why he came, that he might carry your load, that he might bear your burdens. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear trying to carry these loads on ourselves. But don't you see? He took that yoke upon himself all the way to Calvary. And it is not too heavy for him. It is not too heavy for him. But I think it can be hard for us to give that burden to our Savior, our beast of burden, Jesus. In part because of those kind of cultural, that cultural mentality that I talked about at the outset. A number of years back, while I was in St. Louis, um, I, was, I was out riding my bike, and just a leisurely bike ride, and, and while I'm going along, I come up to this corner, and just over here, stone's throw, about where Melba's sitting there, I uh, see a woman, and she's trying to unload out of her car this piece of furniture. I'm not even sure what it was. An armoire or a cabinet. One of those things that's not necessarily super heavy, but it's like impossible to carry by yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Those ones that are just really cumbersome. So I see the woman. I'm on my bike. It's no big deal. I get off. I say, ma'am, can I, can I help you to carry that for a minute? Said, no, no big deal. I got it. <laughs> Manifestly, she does not have it. She looks like a squirrel trying to pick up a potato. Okay. <laughs> Miss, are you sure? I'd be happy to help you. It's no big deal. Look, I'm just in my bike. I don't even have to get out, have to get out of a car or something. I can just walk right over to you, help you. Not a big deal. She says, no, I can do it. Really? You're sure? Yeah, I got it. And she takes about two steps, drops it, and the thing breaks and splinters. And she looks down like this. And she looks over at me, and she says, I guess I didn't have it. How many times is that you? How many, how many times is that me? I got it. I got this. I'm going to carry this load. For what? For why, friends? Why do we do this? To improve, to, to, to try and impress our friends and neighbors to show how strong and with it we are? We're not. We are weary and heavy laden, and that's okay. No, it's better than okay. It's fantastic. Why? Because when you recognize that you are poor in spirit, when you recognize that you are weary and heavy laden, when you recognize that you are beaten 
burdened and broken down, that's when you are able then to come to Jesus, your blessed pack mule, your savior beast of burden, and say, Jesus, would you take it for me? And he gladly does, every single time. Come and receive his body and blood tonight. Receive it in this spirit as you come forward thinking in your thoughts, praying in your heart, Jesus, I come weary and heavy laden. Take this burden from off of me. Whatever it is that you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling with, the things that you're carrying, give that to him. And I'll go one step further. Give it to one another. We are the body of Christ. We bear these burdens together. You don't have to carry them alone because you have a Savior who came to bear your burdens. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.